This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Um, great stuff. We're starting a series called Radical, Radical, a call to real radical discipleship. And um, in the small groups, you're going to watch a couple of videos that John Yip introduced to us. So from this Wednesday onwards, there'll be some videos, some discussions, uh, because the Lord is really challenging, especially churches like ours, um, that people think that this is church. This is not church. This is just celebration. This is just people coming together to worship the Lord in thanksgiving of, of the kingdom that has come through the whole week. Uh, we are the church. We are not going to church. We are the church. Our relationships, the values, the principles, the kingdom of God that comes in our lives and through our lives. So when you walk into the drama department tomorrow morning and your name is Adrian and you just realize like, hey, God has called me to be here. Or if you go into the B accounting department and you say, sure, my name is Helena and I just like love the Lord and God has called me to be in this place. I've been, I'm a saint one. I'm not just passing through and I'm not intimidated by the things that happen around me because I have the light of the world. And so this word radical, many people use it in a negative way, but it's actually a very scriptural word. And we're going to break it down in the next couple of weeks. Look at a couple of things. Let me just give you a sort of a lowdown. We're going to talk about real, rooted, not religious, authentic relationships that is birthed in this intentional discipleship. And the call is come to die so that you can live. Okay. Okay. Just, just say that to somebody else next to you. Okay. You've already forgotten. Okay. But God, God is not looking for perfect people. God is looking for real people that are rooted in him. God is not looking for religion. He says, good, there's good religion, and that's to look after widows and orphans and to be obedient to God. But when we're religious, we're always trying, in a negative sense, then we're always trying to change stuff on the outside while God is interested in our hearts. And that's why he wants you to be real, authentic with him. Come with your brokenness. Come with your challenges. Come with the stuff. He's not looking for perfection. So God uses ordinary people, people like you, people like me, that are not the fancy people of the world. And that's why it's true humility and teachability is, will make you great in the kingdom of God. It's when you are laying down your life for him. So let's pray. Father, we thank you this, morning, this evening. It still feels like morning, but hallelujah, time flies when we're having fun. Lord, we thank you for your kingdom that is coming. We thank you this evening that we can consecrate our hearts to your word that is eternal, your incorruptible word, Lord, that, that never returns void to you. Thank you, Lord, that man shall live by your word alone, not just by bread. And we are here, Lord, to be transformed, to be renewed in the way that we think, to become true Christians, biblical Christians. Christians, Lord, that love you with all of our heart, that love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Lord, transform us tonight, change us tonight. Lord, that there will be no fakeness here, but just real, honest, raw encounters with you. Lord, open up the prison doors tonight. Let the oppressed go free. Holy Spirit, you are here that, and you already you have started to work long ago in our hearts. But tonight we thank you and acknowledge your work and your anointing that breaks every yoke. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.
So, so where does this thought of radical come from? God has not called us to be fundamentalists because fundamentalists do not operate with compassion and out of love. But God has called every Christian to be radical. And so if you look at some of the um, root words or the root ideas, if you go to the next picture, there's a, a seed that you plant. And when you plant that seed in the ground, there's a primary root or a radical is the first organ to appear when a seed germinates. It grows downward into the soil, anchoring the seedling. And this is the primary root of a new plant. It's called a radical root. So, in essence, we should all be radical in Christ. And so, that's a beautiful picture you can see. You can't maybe see it so far, but if you see that little seedling, the first one there at the bottom on the left-hand side, growing out of that, the first root that comes out of that seed is called a radical. And so, a lot of people want to be radical because they want to be fundamental because of a cause they are fighting for. But we're not fighting for a cause. We're just being who God has called us to be, and that's radical. And so, if you want to be a biblical Christian, and this is the next slide, shows it a little bit. If you're radically rooted, it means it's one expressing strict adherence to a worldview that is at extreme odds with the cultural norm. That's a definition according to gotquestions.com. I had a question, I just like typed it in. These days you can just type in everything and they're like, whoa, you know. Don't type in, okay, but in any case. So, one expressing strict adherence to a worldview that is at extreme odds with the cultural norm. I like that definition. Because if I read the Bible, it is a very radical book. There's, to be a normal Christian means that I'm going to have a worldview, a way of thinking, a way of living that is completely different than the world. And John Yip said it at the training this week. Um, he said they were in somewhere in Asia and... This big guy from a tobacco company came to speak to these Christian pastors. And they were trying to like say, how do we adapt and how do we reach young people? And, um, and the pastors were, were also breaking their brains and they're trying to say, how, how do we make the church more acceptable to people? And especially to reach young people. And this tobacco guy said, look here, you'll never be able to do it. Because firstly, you don't have a budget. The transporty people and the people out there spend millions on performances and arts and stuff and smoke machines and all of that stuff. That will never change people's lives, he said. But to be a Christian means you are real, authentic, and you're already radical in just who you should be. Just live out what Christ has said in the Bible, and you know what? You're not going to conform to the things of this world. And so Colossians 2, you know, Paul writes, he says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So he says, we need to be rooted in Christ. And to have that worldview means that I'm going to need to live differently. The way I live with my girlfriend, the way I live out there on a Wednesday night, the way I live out there on a Friday and a Saturday night, should be different than the norm of the world. Because the moment when we as the church just allow, or we become like the world, we have lost our power, we have lost our realness, our, and, and 
simply we can go on playing a show, but God is not interested. And that's what I love about um, Reinhard Bunke. You know, Uncle Reinhard says, if you preach the original gospel, you'll get the original results of that gospel. Now, I was really, really challenged when we drove here through the Ukraine and into Russia the past couple of weeks, meeting some of those pastors that were in the Soviet Union and challenged by the status quo of the day. And I've mentioned the story a couple of places, but I'm going to tell the story again, you know. And so this one pastor, Vladimir, pastor Vladimir, is a big guy. He drives like his name, like you pronounce his name, you know. When you get to your destination, you have prayed, you have confessed all your sins, you have repented because of his driving skills. He just takes every gap that you can possibly think of. There is no gap, and then Vladimir makes a gap, you know. He makes sure the other car, car coming from the front makes a gap, you know, so hallelujah. So the first time we arrived at this place, and I drove with him, and then I realized, why wouldn't Johnny put me in the car with Vladimir, and he chose to drive in the other car? So I got wise. The second time around, when we went to the other town, I said to Cornell, I said, Cornell, I, I really feel in my heart that you should drive with Pastor Vladimir. I, I feel deeply that you should Build relationship with him and, and, and George, you know, Pastor George. Just, you know, just connect with Pastor Vladimir, you know. But apparently he drove better, but that was like just three cars. No, no, no. But so his story and many of their stories is one of the stories where they took him to the, and when he was in the army, took him to the woods, put a gun next to his head and said, okay, deny Jesus or you die. And then he said, if I deny Jesus, I will die. If I confess Jesus, I will keep on living. Is that radical? No, it's the norm. That's Christianity. Because my life is not about here. I have an eternal life. And I'm living because of what he did. So the amazing thing is, nobody can threaten me with death. Nobody can threaten you with death. <laughs> Because in Christ, if you're rooted in him, walk in him. If you received him, it says, walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and be established in the faith. And so, there's a lot of, especially charismatic people, and we can't just like now go, oh, and say, yo, look at those conservative people. You know, they, they, they're not really, they're not spiritful anymore. But unfortunately, especially the church in the West, the church in the West is this shallow, it's not deep at all. It's not rooted. We're going to look at that a little bit later. I spoke about it this morning, but we're going to, we're going to give you some, some ideas, some challenges. So where does it start? Jesus walks into a couple of people's lives and he has a radical call to self-denial. Your biggest enemy is self. I want you to take your finger, just move it around, move it in around, and look for your enemy. And then you take 180 degrees and you go like, yeah, I found you. Do that, do that. It's actually fun to do that. No, no, no. Your biggest enemy is the one in front of you. Not the person sitting in front of you, the one in you. Right here. Okay. I want you to take two fingers, because some of you are not enjoying this enough. Take two fingers and say, Hey, I want to show you my biggest enemy. Turn to your neighbor and say, here he is. <laughs> okay. Some of you are still pointing at your neighbor. <laughs> Here he is. <laughs> this is this, I've made a piece. <laughs> it is definitely, it's definitely him. 
you know, humility people, humility. So Jesus said, anyone who wants to follow me must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. The problem with the human race and with our culture is it says, desire to please yourself, self-fulfillment is your highest aim, worship of self. So, so to be a Christian automatically is radical. Where the world is going this way and proclaiming a humanistic gospel, a humanistic worldview, God says, hey, deny yourself. That's where it starts. Isn't it amazing to live, you must die. That's what scripture says. <laughs> the world says, live, 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 and maybe one day you are going to die. I drove past this car today, it says, you have one life, live it. And I thought, yo, that's exactly what the world says. Just go for that venture. Just go for the next experience, the next bucket list you can tick off and just go for it, you know. You're the most amazing you ever. And then I said, I think like, now why is the world in such a mess? Because of the you. <laughs> okay, but then it goes so. The worship of self. There's too many us. Okay. And so self-deception is part of that thing that God calls us to just... Walk out of that place where you really think it's about you or me, because it's not. It's about Jesus. Jesus should take center stage. But isn't it amazing? I love what James decided. He says, look here. He said, came to me in this week, Pastor James, and he said, look here, he actually wants the band to stand at the back of the service. I said, wow, it's an amazing idea. Because even sometimes we stand here and we get all the show. The first church worship, actually with their backs to the church, everybody's saying like, we're going to worship the Lord, stood on the ground, nobody stood on the stage. Now I know I'm short, so I have to stand up here, sorry, otherwise you won't see me, but you I get that drift, okay? But too much of self. So church even sometimes have become a popularity show. Speak into the consumerism. Yeah, I come to church, you know what, because there's soccer tonight, and um, do you know what, the Rugby World Cup is going on, and all that stuff, and uh, hey, 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 that show for people, oh, those church services, two hours, two hours, no, 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 too much for me, too much for me, and that guy's jokes is like really not, it's not good. But God calls us to a place of radical obedience, a different lifestyle. And with, with the Lord, it's like really, there's only like a hundred percent. God doesn't understand any other part of commitment. And that's why we need him so much because we can't do that hundred percent in our own self and our own strength. That's why there's grace to do his will because as you just surrender, as you become real with your inadequacy to actually be a Christian, it's all dependent on him, then wow, suddenly you enter into this space where God's grace comes into your life. But listen to this, I spoke about this this morning in James chapter 1 verse 14 to 17. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So how does things happen is the devil puts a couple of desires in front of you. And it can be, some of them can be good, you know. I, I just want a husband, I, I just want a girlfriend. If, if I can just get a girlfriend, I'll be satisfied. But if that desire is not firstly for God, then what begins to happen is you get enticed, you get drawn away just slowly. And then, and then that thing becomes a seed in your life. And that seed, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And when it's fully grown, it brings forth death. That's what James says. 
And then he says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation nor shadow of turning. He says, don't be deceived. You know, God is constant, amazing, and he doesn't change. And he says, therefore lay aside all filthiness of the, and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is... A hearer of the word and not a doer is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. This is a profound scripture, but I explained this morning, and I'm not going to go into all of it. But James was the brother of Jesus, the natural brother of Jesus. So if James talks about deception, he's number one in the line, and he was, because he did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. Not just did he not believe Jesus was the Messiah, he actually opposed Jesus. He actually did not recognize it, and he came against the ministry of Jesus. Even right till after the resurrection. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us what happened, but in Acts, suddenly we begin to read about this James Corinthians, Paul writing Corinthians a little bit that maybe give us a hint that James had an encounter with Jesus after the resurrection. Jesus actually came to James. But we're not sure. But the one thing we knew and what we can read out of scripture is this James that got so deceived that he just judged Jesus in the natural because, hey, this is my brother. How can he be the Messiah? I grew up with him, you know? Familiarity. Familiarity. I'm going to just be familiar with Jesus, my buddy, you know, because, hey, my neighbor said it the other day, he says, Ach, I know I'm in sin, but you know what? The man up there, he, he knows me, you know. He knows what's in my heart. I'm thinking like, what? The man up there? Whew. I, I actually took two steps back and I thought like, shoo. You're living in sin, you're living in adultery and all of that stuff. But the man up there knows my heart. Yeah, he knows your heart. Ooh. He knows exactly. But, but we're not allowed to say he's an adulterer anymore. He's a man seeking his own desires somewhere else. He's in sin. He's committing sin and God knows his heart, but God also has to judge that. And so James says, I, I'm the, I was the number one guy that got deceived. <laughs> and I had this encounter with Jesus. I had this encounter with him that changed in such a way that James became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Eventually, when Barnabas takes up Saul that became Paul, he introduces him to the Jerusalem council. And James, the brother of Jesus, is the leader of the church there. So when he writes about deception, we better listen. And he says the number one deception of self-deception, if we want to live this life radically rooted in Christ, when we get self-deceived is when we are hearers of the word, but we're not doers of the word. And I'm not saying tonight, do more for God, get more involved. I'm just saying, if you are a hearer of the word and you're not a doer, you will get deceived. Because then in your heart you think, like, well, I'm a good person. And, and at least I'm just drinking... Thrice a week, three times a week. But Peter, he's drunk every night, you know. Form of godliness. And so James writes this, he says, it's like in a mirror. When you look in that mirror and you just walk away and you forget, hey, you've just forgotten. 
And that's what the word does. It says the word is able to save your soul. But the picture here, and I explained it this morning, is like taking wax out of your ear. How many have ever had wax been washed out of your ear? Your, your ear was like closed and then you got somebody to just wash it out. You went to the doctor. It's the worst thing that could ever happen to you. According to my wife, no childbirth is. But there's a lot of other things that is bad. But that is one of the things. Because what they take, they take this little thing and they put warm water in it. And then they, that doctor just like pushes it. And it feels like your brains are going to wash out the other ear if they like. And they do it a couple of times. And then they have to get this thing. Because you can't hear properly and it's swollen. And you can eventually become deaf if they don't clean your ears. But then you sit there and you like bite your tongue. You, you do everything but... Eventually, when this wax is out, you think like, I can hear, I can hear. You you want to just worship because it feels like you've been delivered, you know? Now, that is exactly the picture that James says. He says, you have to clean out your ears, guys. He says, wash yourself, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And yet we are the generation that is the most biblical illiterate generation that has ever lived. We are a YouTube generation. Oh, did you watch that movie? You know? But the average person, if I would probably walk up to you, and this is not condemning, but will not be able to quote more than five scriptures to me in this room. So we don't know the word, and that's why James warns, he says, if you want to be radically obedient, you need to learn to be a doer of the word. So first, homework for you, whenever you come to church, I want you to bring a, bi- a Bible, I mean, Bible, notebook, pen. You write it down, you go home, and you go and wrestle with what God is telling you. Because we have to train people. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to say, Lord, what are you telling me and how should I be obedient to that? And accountability in our relationships, our authentic relationship with each other should be about not have you sinned yesterday, but what are you doing concerning the obedience and the call of God on your life? Because God can really just take you as far as your last step of obedience. He'll, He'll make you go around in the wilderness and you will not be sentimental until you come back to that place to say, okay, Lord, this is what we're going to do. And Jesus was really real about that. So my challenge tonight is without trying to condemn us, but to ask you, what did God tell you last to do? No, you know, that baptism service next week is for somebody else. Uh, I'm going to pray about it and the Lord must send three angels to me. But you know what? We don't pray about baptism because it's in scripture. God says, go repent and be baptized. We don't pray about making disciples. He says, go into all the world and make disciples. We want to pray about stuff that God said you should not pray about. He's already given you a command. Go and do it. Your life should be to be a laborer in the kingdom so that you make disciples of other people. It's, it's not optional. It's not like the ten suggestions. We actually read scripture as if it is a suggestion. But you know what? Jesus, unfortunately, most of the time spoke in commands. Oh. Hey, you! Follow me! Uh, Jesus, I want to first go bury my mother. Hey, you! Come! I'll make you as we go. Uh, uh, Jesus, uh, I've got so many excuses. Uh, just come. 
No, 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 no. You know, that's too radical for me. Definitely for the pastor. It's people for under 1.6 meters. <laughs> I'm not including myself. Why are you laughing like that? I'm 1.85. And in the spirit, 7 meters. But in any case, I'm like being Jason at the back. I mean, bring it on. Okay. <laughs> See, I've looked in the mirror. James said it. For if anyone is a hearer, you're like, you're like watching in the mirror. And so you have to take stock of your life regularly. Otherwise, you fool yourself. I fool myself. Take stock of what do I spend my life with. Now, now this is going to be a challenging one. Let me give you the first question I ask is, what has God told you to be obedient to? And God is simply waiting for us to be obedient to that. I want to take an example of your life because maybe it's applicable to many people in this place. I spoke to a guy this week and this guy's got all these excuses and all the challenges. And I, I don't like conflict and I don't like confrontation, but I just had to ask him this question. Because he was talking about how he doesn't have time for the Lord and how busy his life is. And then the conversation went over to the next 120 kilometers bike ride competition thing that he's going to do. And then he started for 20 minutes to explain to me how he's enrolled for that, how he's paid like 800 bucks for that race, and how is this. And then he told me about what he's going to do in January, and next week, next year, April, there's another race coming up, and next year, September, he's already planned it, and he's going to watch the Roger Federer game. He was sitting in front of that computer for, what, three hours, and when it opened up within 10 minutes, he was one of the people that got the tickets. Now I asked him a very simple question. If you're as urgent about your bike riding and getting to the gym to prepare your body for December and get yourself into the CrossFit thing and all of that stuff, you plan very well. You just told me you can't plan, but it seems like you can plan very well. But have you ever done the same concerning the things of the kingdom of God? Just be honest. Have you ever planned a year in advance how you want to grow spiritually? Wow, I, I, I want to, I'm, I'm, I'm praying about that. I've got this desire in my heart, you know. Next year, June, I want to go on a mission trip. I'm doing everything. I'm going to work in December to plan for that because, hey, seek first the kingdom of God. But let's be honest. Sometimes we plan better for our golf game or our social. Nothing wrong with that. But if we're really, really honest, sometimes we conform to the culture of the day of being consumers to our next nice thing. And then, hey, oh, this weekend is also church. <laughs> and I know I'm speaking to the converted. You're all in church, I mean. <laughs> but there's so many people that are deceived in their hearts because they don't plan around God and the kingdom of God. They plan around self first. It's different when you're going to do that bike ride and you are going to invite three other people that you are busy discipling with, that you are busy discipling to see the kingdom of God come and maybe there's somebody that doesn't know the Lord that you've invited with and now you start to plan and you start to say, yes, I'm gonna, I've got to focus because do you know what? In all of this that I'm doing, I want to draw this guy in. I want to see him 
see the Lord and I want him to come to the Lord because I can disciple him long before he gave his heart to the Lord, I can start to disciple him. Then I'm planning my life around those things, but then it's still the kingdom first. It's getting very quiet in here. Why is it so quiet? It's it's, it's the air a little bit. People running out of air. But come on, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Because if we jump up here and say, Jesus, you're Lord of my life. But by Sunday morning, you realize like, oh, my social schedule was too much. I can't go to church tonight. Then around, why did I plan my life? Come on, this is exactly what James is talking about. Because I'm a doer of the word and I have this great intention to follow God, but my life doesn't reflect that. And that means a massive cultural change to be a biblical Christian. Yes, play rugby, but are you playing for him? Are you playing, you know, go and watch the rugby and enjoy the World Cup. But who are you inviting to watch it with you? And are you looking for an opportunity? Say, yes, Lord, we're enjoying this. And yes, we'll repent because we screamed at the ref. We don't like those French people in any case. And neither the Australians, we can, we can repent. But in the process, I've got a heart after you. Because tomorrow you're going to walk into the faculty, tomorrow you're going to work, walk into a, your workplace, and I'm not going to be there. And you have a choice. Are you going to switch God on? And you can't. Or are you going to switch him off? Yes, you can. God is always there. But you have been commissioned to be there. And that's very simply. That's what James writes about. You look into the mirror on a Sunday night, Monday morning you walk away. And so come to learn. Come to grow. Come to be challenged. Don't come to be a consumer. Go out of here on a Sunday night and then you go wrestle with God. God, what does it mean? How do I become a disciple? What are you saying to me? And then you WhatsApp all your friends and say, hey, the Lord told me this. I want you to ask me these questions because I'm wrestling through this and I'm struggling with this. But do you know what? I'm going to get there and I'm going to get there with you. So Jesus spoke about the same concept. And I don't have enough time tonight. We'll be finished at 10. I mean, he says there are four kinds of seed that has been sown, and I spoke a lot about this this morning, so I'm just, I'm just throwing it out so that we can all be on the same page. We're talking about radical, real discipleship. What it does it mean to be a disciple, and what does it mean to make other disciples? Not event Christianity, not consumer Christianity. There's nothing wrong with events if our focus is discipleship. There's nothing wrong with big church. It's amazing because we celebrate. There's a lot of things that happen tonight when we worship together like this in the spiritual realm. Things shift in the spiritual realm. We declare God's faithfulness. There's a lot of things that happen when we come together to worship Him. And that's why it's important. The first church went from house to house and to the temple. But Jesus says there's a lot of seed that's sown. And He spoke about the Word of God in your life and in my life. And He says the first group of seed was thrown at the wayside in Matthew chapter 13. And he says, The birds came, devoured it, because the person received the word but did not understand it. Evil stuff, the evil one snatched it away. So concerning the calling of God on your life to be a disciple, the word spoken over your life, scripture in your life, 
You must know that there's a massive attack to take 25%. It's a spiritual, demonic assignment on your life not to understand the word. And that's why a lot of people in a town like this struggle with unbelief. And it's demonic. Jesus said it is like that way. He says, because some of that seed, the sower that went out, fell on the wayside. And the wayside is like, like that path. A path is a place that lots of people travel on. It's a busy place. And in the middle of that, and that's why you need to learn as a Christian to take authority over the words that have been spoken over your life. Once you are secure in your identity, you learn to be obedient, and as you become more obedient, you grow in your authority. Identity with an obedient lifestyle leads to a spiritual authority that God releases over you. And so you must take stock of your life and you must take authority when the devil comes to knock. You must take those thoughts captive when the fear comes in. When the fear says you're going to fail all your subjects, you're going to be miserable, you're never going to do this. When those thoughts come, take those thoughts captive. But then there's also prophecies. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, some people have spoken prophecies over you and you must wage warfare with the words that have been spoken over you. You must say, I am John the Beloved. This is what God said over my life. Back off, devil. Back off, world. And nobody can take that authority for you. You must do it. Take your finger. Say, you. You. Okay. Turn to your neighbor and say, not you, me. Not you, but me. <laughs> okay, some of you are enjoying this finger pointing too much, you know? <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's an older older guy that's got ch- children in the church here, but he always in the morning he sits at the back. Then one morning he came to me after the service and he stood in front here and he says, "I just want to settle something with you, please. Stop pointing your finger in my direction, <laughs> because every time you point your finger in my direction." There's so much conviction on my life. Can you please just point to another group of people? Because otherwise it feels like you are preaching just at me. So please don't point that finger again. I, I don't know if it was serious or whatever, but I just decided, okay, I'll point that way. But like when Stephen says, that finger always comes back. Eh? <laughs> yeah. But in any case. So there's an attack on the word of God in your life. The second thing was stony places. The Bible says the sun scorched those seed. The people received it with joy, but there was no root. A lot of people, and the reason why so many people backslide out of the charismatic church is because we don't tell people what I'm telling you tonight. You need to be rooted. You need to be rooted in Christ. You need to be established, built up. You need to walk in Christ every day. You need to learn how to do that. You can't just say, yeah, Jesus, he is my life, but you don't learn what it means to be a disciple. And that's a radical, different, opposing worldview than what you'll find on campus, than what you'll find in the pub on Wednesday. Because when the persecution comes and the sun is going to try to scorch that thing because there's just so little ground, there's no root going down, the thing is not anchored. So, it's a spiritual position in your life. And then the third one, this one we're very familiar with, is the thorns. 
It says the seed begins to grow, but then thorns grows with it, and the thorns are the cares of the world. And isn't it amazing? The second thing he doesn't, he, he sort of highlights one, two things. He says the cares of this world, and then he talks about the deceitfulness of riches. It's the only God that God compares himself with. He says you'll be in competition, and it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The love of money. The love of money. The love of money is the root of all evil. And so, we, we get rid of the thorns. Don't look at the stony places in our lives. And just taking stock is a challenging thing to say, Lord, am I really rooted in Christ? Am I really, when people say stuff about me or stuff about you, am I rooted or... When the sun comes, a bit of persecution comes. Ah. And then the invitation, obviously, is from Jesus is the good crown. He says, some will produce 30, 60, 100 fold. Because more than jumping up and down on a Sunday night, the one thing Jesus will come to look for is fruit. He's not going to ask you and say, hey, how many times did you sing that beautiful song we will sing, 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 and make music in the heavens. And you even had a vibe. Yeah? <laughs> throw the salt, throw the pepper, stir it all around for Jesus. Yeah? That's how some people dance, you know? They have this rhythm. Throw the salt, throw the pepper, stir it all around. Yeah? Because some of us don't have rhythm. But praise God for black people. They have lots of rhythm. That's why we need them in church. Amen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some people have been born with rhythm. Some people have been born with two left legs. But you have got other strengths. Make a piece with that, okay? That's so beautiful, you know. About the church and about having a church that has just got different cultures and different people coming together. So let's rejoice in our differences. The world is trying to divide people. It's focusing on our stuff that divides us. And God focuses on the things that brings us together. What an opportunity. That's why I love this church. I love what God is doing. You know, some of those words... The malibongwe, malibongwe is easy for me. But some of those other words, I'm already at the third word and I'm still at the first word. <laughs> and my problem is I had a speech impediment when I was young. So I can't do the... <coughs> you know, I tried to... And then I'm still gone. But hallelujah, I'm enjoying every moment of it, you know. Because I'm just watching Socks. Socks is sitting on that piano. And the reason why they've built this whole thing is because Socks goes like... <laughs> you know. And so he's just like, and then the legs is going and everything is going, but he's playing that piano as if, hallelujah, he's playing for T.D. Jakes or somebody else. But it's amazing, you know. <laughs> I love you for that. <laughs> okay, I got you there. But in any case, just watch him. Watch him next time. Watch how the whole floor goes like that if he plays. It's like in a different realm. I just enjoy him so much. But so... You are keeping distracting me. Focus, people. Focus, okay. 
the last one, the last scripture, John 15, verse 7 to 14. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. God is interested in you bearing much fruit. Yes, he loves you. Wow. Yes, he's your father. But he's glorified through you bearing fruit. And that fruit starts for you to become Christ-like in your character. I was so proud last week on the golf course, I did not swear. Hallelujah. Not that I normally swear on the golf course, but hallelujah. I was just... I sometimes think it, you know. I think, why are people playing this sport? But hallelujah. Okay. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. The devil is telling you, be happy. It's going to give you a little joy in the world. But God wants your joy to be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do whatever I command you. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.